Um, Joshua 13. I haven't been here for the last couple Wednesdays. Um, and they're nearing the end of their kind of campaign through um, Israel, through the Promised Land. Um, and so a lot of what we're going to look at, especially for the next few weeks, um, I won't be here next week, but Silas will be here. Um, and then the week after that, we'll continue. Uh, there's a lot of kind of uh, um, technical stuff that they're just giving land to different people. Um, and what's interesting is the first verse of chapter 13, uh, Joshua was old and advanced in years. Uh, it doesn't tell us what age he was here. Uh, most of the uh, commentators believe he was around 100 and he actually died at around 110. And so we're going to see that um, there's 24 chapters in, in Joshua. And so we're seeing the last 10 chapters or so be the last part of Joshua's life. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight uh, in the fact of um, ending your ministry coming towards the end and and what the responsibilities of that might be um so joshua was old advanced in years and the lord said to him you are old and advanced in years and there remains very much land yet to be possessed this is the land that yet remains all the territory of the philistines all that is of the Geshurites, from Sehor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashadites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and the Avites. From south to the land of the Canaanites, the Mirah belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek to the border of the Amorites. The land of the Gibalites and all of Lebanon, toward the sunrise from Baal Gad down below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance of Hamath. And the inhabitants of the mountains of Lebanon as far as the brook of Mesrephoth and the Sidonians, I will drive them out before the children of Israel. Only divide it by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So, here's the one we're going to focus on tonight. He looks at Joshua as his age is getting towards the end. And he instructs him with this fact that there's a lot of work t still to be done. And then he names all of these different lands that they haven't yet gone in and taken. And so I want to focus especially on verse 2, uh, where it says, This is the land that remains. And the end of verse 1, where there remains very much land yet to be possessed. So as we have taken all of these verses and apply them to Christ, when we are instructed by God to take land, so to speak. We aren't called by God through Jesus Christ to occupy physical land. But there is land that we're supposed to be claiming. How do we claim land? Or what, what is God talking about in reference to Christ with us going out? When, when the Bible says that the harvest is plenteous, what is the land? Where do this, what are the seeds sown into? It's people. So our land is, is people. And we are to, to do our best to win souls for Christ. And would you agree that there is much 
work to be done. There's just much work to be done. We are the sowers of the seeds. And we are those who who are instructed in Acts 1 to be witnesses for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So I've not thought about this a, a whole bunch, but uh, I turned 60 this year, and um, I've, I've been asked more in the last few months about, are you thinking about retiring? Are you thinking about, what do you think, are you thinking about, and and no, not I'm close, not I'm close to, uh, not so much in reference to the church, but a lot about the school. How much longer you work at the school? And, but there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. And we, in ministry, it's not like an occupation. We are called by God to the day he calls us home to do the work. We are created in his workmanship, where his workmanship is created for good works. And there's no retiring from the work of the Lord. You might retire from your occupation, or I may not preach for the rest of my life, but I, I would hope to still be doing the work of the ministry, the work of God. Um, so let's look, if you will, at a few verses that have to deal with this subject. One is Second Timothy uh, chapter four. Um, if you've been around uh, long enough, you've, you've heard me read these verses quite a bit. But not, we usually read um, verses six through eight, which I read at almost every funeral of a Christian that I've ever talked at. But I, we're going to look at verse. 1 through 8 of 2 Timothy 4. This is the Apostle Paul, who's in the same kind of state as Joshua. His ministry, his life is ending. And so, one extremely important thing that we have to do when we draw towards the end of our time is to make sure that those behind us are prepared and ready to continue the work. Um, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So let's establish the context. The Apostle Paul is talking, and who is he talking to? He's talking to Timothy. The context is Timothy is going to be the one to kind of take up the mantle of the Apostle Paul. And he says to him in verse 2, Preach the word! Exclamation point. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So as some of us enter the sunset of ministry, it's very important that we prepare the next generation to continue the work. And Paul does this by encouraging Timothy when he says to him in other scriptures, let no man despise thy youth, and then instructs him in two areas. Number one, he instructs him what his job is. His job is to preach the word. That is the ministry. We are to spread the word. If you look at the sowing of the seeds... What are the seeds? It's the word. And some and it God tells you it's going to fall on different types of ground and be looking for these things. The second thing he does to Timothy is he instructs him 
on what to expect are going to be some of the challenges. And he tells them, look it, there's going to come a time where people don't want you to preach the word. They're going to raise up speakers that tickle their ears is what it says. And they won't have sound doctrine. And they'll heap up uh, teachers that will have itching ears. In other words, we don't, we, by the way, we're there. In, the, in their culture today, where preaching of the word is being replaced by all kinds of religious, I'll just use the word gobbledygook, um, that that really isn't, you know, I was listening to, to an invitation the other day where the invitation was to, you know, unite with God. We're going to unite with God and just pray that you would be, uh, I invite you to come forward and unite with God. Well, the the invitation is for repentance. It's to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And to be born again is to confess your sins to Christ and turn from your wicked ways. And, and he'll forgive you. And so sometimes the messages get a little bit more pleasant to the ears when you preach the word in season and out of you what does the bible say all scripture given man's from god inspiration of god and is profitable for what reproof correction instruction and in righteousness and doctrine so reproof and correction has to be part of the preaching of the word doesn't it and and there's going to come a time where people won't want that so we have to instruct the next generation to preach the word. It's harder in 2020 than it was in 1980. It's harder. It's not as accepted. And and I don't know. I don't anticipate it getting easier. Do you? I don't know in the generations to come that it's going to get easier. I don't know. But there could be revival at any moment. Um, but Paul is, is preparing Timothy. Hey, it's not going to be easy. Preach the word. Verse 5. You be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Why? For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. These verses are really, really important in, in what I would like to accomplish with my life, which is what I would like to accomplish with my life is to finish the race with my faith strong. I want to keep the faith strong and finish the race Um, and that's how God describes our life as a race and it's more like an obstacle course because there are challenges along the way and we are just to kind of keep the faith and finish finish strong Joshua is old but there's work to do and and when we get to Joshua 24 we'll see Joshua's final Encouragement to the Israelites before he dies. Uh, turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to re- repeat something that I know you've heard before, and it, it is um, that what I really like about the Apostle Paul is when when you look back on your life um, as you're coming to the end of your life um, we have eulogies right and we talk about all the great things and accomplishments of a person individuals when they look back on their life many times it's I wish I'd have done this I should have done this I wish I'd have done this Uh, I remember um Eleonora Brown when she passed away um, right before she passed away she was uh, 
in her in her bed, and I was really a novice. I was so young back then, and so I thought I would just bring her some tapes to listen to, some sermons, and some some book, little books to read. And she says, "Oh, Pastor," I, she goes, "I can't take it. I can't. I can't take those." And I said, "Well, why not?" She says, "Because I did not pray for my children enough. I regret that. I should have prayed for them." And I only have a few days left. And I'm going to use every second to pray for my children. And one of the things she prayed is she had a, a child that was in the Mormon church. And within weeks after she passed away, they came out. So it was it was incredible. But so individually, we look back. So let's take the Apostle Paul. Does he have anything in his life he could regret? He m- murdered innocent people. He had Stephen killed and then later on found out that he had done that wrongly, unjustly. Does he have anything to be proud of? He won who knows how many to Christ. What's that? And still is. And he was responsible for churches all over the region. But he doesn't look back in his life and say... I wish I would not have hurt those people. He doesn't look back and say, I'm so proud of all the things that I did. He looks back and says, all right, I finished. I kept my faith. I finished what I was supposed to do. And that's encouraging to me because I can do those two things. I can finish. I can serve God till the day I die. I'm not saying I'm going to. But but I can accomplish that through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And I can, so far, since 1979, I've maintained a pretty strong faith in, in, in my Lord and Savior and in His Word. So uh, it's been 40 years since I became a Christian or so. If I can go 40 more, if I live to be 100, we can do this and I can finish it. And then... The mistakes I've made or any accomplishments, that don't matter. What matters is that I stay on course. In Acts 20, verse 23, Paul said, Except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Now this is Paul towards the end of the book of Acts. And he knows what awaits him in every city. And some of his uh, friends are saying, no, Paul, don't. we love you, don't. And he says in verse 24, none of these things move me, for I do not count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, chains, arrests, that none of that moved me. I don't think about those. My goal is to finish my race with joy. To just spread the gospel one day at a time and move towards the end. There's much work to be done. What we see in Timothy is that he accomplished this. Staying focused on the prize. Look at, at Hebrews chapter 12. I was talking to the sixth graders today, and, and man, sixth graders just, they love God, and they, they're so innocent, and man, you just know they're going to be 15 someday, 16 and 17, and you, you just have no idea what they're going to be thinking at that age, and, and are they going to finish this kind of innocent faith they have right now you do you just want them to to maintain it uh hebrews 12 verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily ensnare us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us so that's us we're no different than apostle paul 
And whatever God has before you is different than what's before me. And you have no idea what you're going to face. Um, it's, 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 you just don't know. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So when am I finished? According to this verse, I am finished when the author says I'm finished. But Paul said, as long as I have breath, I want to finish and I want to spread the gospel. And as he came to the end of his life, not only did he continually wanting to spread the gospel, but he made sure there was somebody ready to continue the work. That's what Joshua 13 is about. You're getting old. There's much work to be done. Let's get this land divided because they've got to continue this work. This says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's bring Jesus into this. Aren't you glad that Jesus, in fact, what was one of the last things he said on the cross? It is finished. Aren't you glad he finished? That word propitiation, when it says he was the propitiation for our sins, that's just a fancy word for he did everything he was needed to do. It, he finished the work. And because of his finished works on the cross, we have salvation. And he says to us, now what I'd like you to do is tell people, be witnesses for me. As, as long as you're here. Philippians 3. These are really good. You'll, you know these verses. These are very familiar ones. But they, they kind of lay it out really beautifully. Philippians 3 verse 12. Again, Paul is writing about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Philippians 3.11 If by any means I may tend to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have attained already or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which is Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in our race... You know, there's there's another verse in Scripture that talks about those who run their race. Not everybody wins, but we are victor, victorious in Christ. And so, as we run this race, as God calls it, and we're trying to finish this course that we're on, what is the prize? It's in verse fourteen. It's the upper call. That's when we're finished. That's where I'm, I may not pastor for the rest of my life. I may not teach junior hires forever till I die. <clears throat> but I, I should. I, I was thinking about this the other day. No, I wasn't. I was thinking about this over the summer for some reason. I don't know why I was thinking about this. Um, but we went and visited a um, uh, retirement home in looking for places for my mom to go a couple of years ago. And they they were having a chapel. They had a little chapel where a uh, pastor came in. And I was wondering about the time when I'll live in assisted living or retirement home or whatever it might be. And I thought, you know, that would, I could, if they're going to have church services there, I could just do it. I'm, I'm already be here. I'll be living here. I could be like the on site pastor if, if for these people that would be well, that would be a great way to retire to go and, and 
I'm too old to kind of get around, but I can still roll my wheelchair in there and open the Word of God and, and do Bible studies. I, it, I know, it's a weird thought, but the, the thought process with this, I don't ever have to put the Bible down. I'll always be able to preach. I'll always be able to do that. I'll always have to be able to have the Word of God and just pray for a sound mind and be able to do that. And so that's what we're talking about, just continuing uh, until you're called up. And until you're called upward, still work to do. And let's go back to Joshua 13. Even though he was getting old, there's still work to do. And, uh, you know, Timothy was told not to let anybody despise your youth. But the Bible also says a lot about the respect of those that are gray-headed and those that are, are advanced in years. They have a lot to offer. They have a lot to offer. Uh, our country does a very poor job of uh, respect for the elderly and care for the elderly and a very poor job of protecting our babies. Those two extremes where it's in, in its a ploy of the devil in both in both areas for sure. Um, so let's go to verse uh, number seven. Um, <clears throat> now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So there's specific work to do and it's to divide the rest of the land. Uh, with the other half of the tribe of the Reubenites, the Gadites, receive their inheritance which Moses has given them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses, the servant of the Lord. From Aurora, uh, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town in the midst of the ravine, to the plain of Mediba, as far as Dibon. All the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Hishbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon. Gilead and the border of the Geshurites and the uh, Machathites, and all of Mount Hermon and all of Bashan, as far as Saka, or Salka, and the kingdom of Og in Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, and Edrei, who remained in the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast them out. So we see in these verses that this work is very specific. And if you notice that God said, uh, it's already there for you to take. It's already prepared for you. So turn to John chapter 4. We have a, a New Testament uh, parallel to this in John chapter 4. And it is the idea that wherever we are called to go as missionaries or sojourners for Christ, he has already went beforehand to prepare everything for us. So in John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. He speaks with her about her life, uh, tries to explain to her that he's the living water, and she wants this water. He tells her to go get her husband. Uh, she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now isn't your husband. And so she then goes back to the town and says, you've got to come and hear this guy. He could be the Christ. He knows everything about me. Well, then... The disciples have been away gathering food. And they come back and they're a little bit put off by the fact that he was talking to the Samaritan woman. So look at verse 34 of John 4. Uh, let's look at verse 33. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food to eat? Because they told him to eat and he says, I already got food to eat. And so here's Jesus' instructions to them. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So we want to be like Christ, don't we? So to be like Christ, isn't our call the same? To do the work of him who sent us and to finish it. Take a breath. You're not finished. 
If you're breathing, you're not finished. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. I don't know what he's talking about. What is he talking about? She just went back and she's going to bring the whole town back and and almost all of them are going to come to know Christ. So verse 36 says, He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. We are told in other scriptures about the process of someone coming to Christ happens when some sow, some water, and some reap. Well, what is the specifics of that? Well, we already know the sowing is done through what? How do you sow seeds spiritually? You preach the word. You preach the word. How do you water? You talk. You build a relationship. Did you? What do you think about that verse? What did you think about the message? Do you, have you considered giving your life to Christ? And then what's reaping? Winning that person to Christ. Walking him through the Lord's Prayer and seeing that person become a Christian. And the process is, sometimes, look, when a person walks into this church and we don't haven't met that person before, somebody's done some work. It's the Holy Spirit. But there's been some work done if they just walk in here to church on a Sunday out of the blue. And so, verse 38 says, I have sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. This was actually the same type of words he gave to Israel when they went in the promised lands. He told them, you're going to get houses you haven't built and you're going to get produce you haven't planted. Well, when we go out and we say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this person says, oh, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to, I want to know that Jesus. And they pray the prayer of salvation. Christ has done all the work. He's done all the work if he's responding to John 3.16. But we tend to go, man, that was a good sermon. I had four decisions for Christ and three baptisms, and man, I am on fire. No, you're not. We are reaping what we have nothing to do with. These men don't even think he should be talking to the Samaritans. And there's going to come a whole town that's about to become believers. And they had nothing to do with it. So as we stay the course, and we are no different than these Israelites who are going to go to these cities that God has already given them and conquered them. And it's up to Joshua to remind the people, look at just go. This is your town. You're going to have to go and take it. I'm not, I can't fight for you. I'm old. I'm an old man. you got to go. This is a little bit like our children going out on their own and their faith is really tested, isn't it? Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, there, there's a, a, a very similar... Uh, message in in Paul's writing here, but there's a little subtle um, rebuke. And this is the rebuke to those who are not doing the work. There's work to do, and we we really, there's all kinds of different ways to do it. You can do it through youth work, you could do it through uh, senior citizens, you could do it through food giveaway, you could do it through prayer meetings, but the work is, it's all kinds of ways to do it. So in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, Let's look at verse 31. Paul says, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Paul says every day. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, 
What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? So this is answering the questions that have came up that there is no resurrection of the dead. And these are the verses earlier in this chapter. If Christ be not risen, then our faith is vain. Well, he says, look, at, if, if I go and I fight with the beast at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. By the way, that's the, the, the battle cry of the hedonistic. Live for pleasure. The Bible says in the last days people will be lovers of pleasure more than what? Lovers of God. And so he says, look it, if there's no resurrection of the dead, I'm not going to go to Ephesus and fight the beasts. I'm not going to go be uh, die daily. If there's no resurrection of the dead, we might as well just eat, drink, and be merry. For we just die. There's no purpose in the work of Christ. Now look at verse 33. Um, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. We get a little emotional about this because it's it's convicting to me. It is not our. We do not fail, Legrand. If the entire city does not become a Christian, that is not a failure. It is a failure if there are people in Legrand who haven't heard about Jesus yet. Our job is to spread the word, preach the word, to let them know who Christ is through food boxes or through Nineveh or through Awana with kids so that we can take these books and go say these to your parents so that the word of God somehow gets in the home. We do whatever we can to just to try to get that word out so that they do. And then we have this place so when they do find that track or read that book, that they walk in that door to get more information as the Holy Spirit draws them. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul says to them, it is to your shame that some don't have the knowledge of God. You guys are so busy arguing over this resurrection thing, you're missing the whole point. Christ did rise from the dead, and these people don't know it, and shame on you. You're not doing the work you're called to do. And one of the things that's happening as, as decades of ministry go by is there are less and less people within the church that really care about even being part of it, the ministry. They want to be in church. They certainly want to worship, and they certainly want to be fed. But being in the process of getting the word out, we are more into recreation and entertainment these days and churches have become a place to go to be entertained when the ministry is outside the church isn't it the ministry is there with our neighbors and our friends and our colleagues and whatever we're doing and so it's to our shame that the word needs to be spread okay back to Joshua 13 this has been something that's been on my own personal thing so um let's finish up with a few um encouraging things and then i'll close with one verse from corinthians and we'll be done um verse 13 nevertheless you never like that word in the bible do you unless it's a positive if it comes after something negative it's good you have sinned you have done wrong you are evil nevertheless oh good But he's just read, hey, there's going to be victory, victory, victory. God's going to give you this. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or Machites. But the Geshurites and the Machites dwell among the Israelites until this day. Uh, They blew it. They weren't supposed to. They were supposed to drive them out. By the way, what's interesting is David married a Geshurite. Did you know that? It's in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 3 3, one of his wives was a Geshurite. And her son, 
was Absalom. Who caused David the most problems? Absalom. In fact, when Absalom fled from David to regroup, he went to Gesher. And so there's always consequences, aren't there? There's consequences of not following the instructions of God, finishing the course and doing what you're supposed to do. Um, only the tribe of, Is- of the Levites, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord our God Israel made by fire are inheritance, as he said to them. The Levites didn't get any land because they were the priests offering sacrifices and they had to be available to every tribe. So they couldn't be in one area. They had to be within distance for people to come and sacrifice the sin offerings. So they spread out. By the way, First Peter, we are a royal what? Priesthood. Our inheritance, and this is the problem, our inheritance is an eternal inheritance. Do a, a word search on, on, on inheritance in Scripture. There's amazing verses on it. Our inheritance is incorruptible, fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. Many of us are, many people today are still building this temporary life on earth, building a name for themselves or building. Our inheritance to our children is is the word of God, is the gospel, is the truth. And so, you know, we're living for retirement or living for this or living for that. The inheritance is crowns. David's, what did Paul say? There's a crown of righteousness, not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. Um, that's that high calling. That's our inheritance. We're like the Levites. They don't get an earthly inheritance. Their inheritance is somewhere else. Um, 16, the territory was, again, at 16 and 17 and 18. It's more <clears throat> descriptions of the inheritance. I do want you to look at verse 22. Uh, the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, uh, among those who were killed by them. So this is the other thing to remember about this journey you're on. God will take care of your enemies. If you remember Balaam, he was a false prophet, and and the, the enemy of God kept wanting him to curse Israel and he kind of wanted to, but God wouldn't let him, and then the donkey had to protect him. Well, he eventually did uh, give them advice that cost many lives of the Israelites. He instructed them to, to, to intermarry. and so, But he paid for his sins. And we have to know, the Bible says in Psalm 37, that to fret not because of evildoers, for the righteous are going to shine like the noonday. But what was the problem the first time they went in the promised land? Why did they not go in? What was their fear? They were giants. We are like grasshoppers. God is going to take care of our enemies. You know, it is... It is uh, I've noticed, and maybe you've noticed in the last couple of days, that America is very fearful of our enemies. You know, there there was um, some major earthquakes in Iran the last couple of days. Did anybody notice that? Yeah, and and um, when when that happened, it was like because they're not enemies of America. The enemy, the, the Muslim religion is, is enemies to God. It's a satanic religion that are enemies to God. And if God wanted to shake that whole nation, you know, but when our president. Uh, retaliated the whole country just assumed we were all going to die in the next two days there was such fear in 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 but to a christian it is well they are definitely the enemy of god so we're on the right side we're on the side and and the earthquakes i don't know if they had anything to do with anything but they did remind me of what god could just shake it just shake them down and and they have gone against God's anointed, God's people. They're shooting missiles at God's nation, Israel. They don't get; they're not going to get away with that. But we are very fearful because everybody panicked, and all you saw was World War Three, 
Way to go, Trump. You got us involved in World War III. Well, that is a it is not anger. That's fear. Because if you don't have God and you don't have Christ, then everybody, you, you feel like a grasshopper. Our enemies are taken care of. Move forward. Keep going. Don't back down. Put on the whole armor of God. It's a race. It's a war. It's a battle. Any way you want to put it, it's always the same answer. Just keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Um, so we'll close with um, verse 23. Again, the border of the children of Reuben at the bank. Uh, Moses had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad. Verse 25, the territory was Jazer. And verse 26, again, it's just territories that they're giving. Uh, verse 28, this is the inheritance of the children of Gad. And so all the way down to verse 33, where it talks about, or verse 32, these are the areas that Moses had distributed as an inherited in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. So every tribe had their place. Some of the tribes, remember, had land on the other side of the Jordan, which they were not to get until all of the enemies were taken care of. So let's close with 2 Corinthians 10. God has a plan, and the plan is not much different than it was at the time of going into the promised land. And that simply is to or to God is not the author of confusion and to with good organization assign these pieces of land to the different tribes. Who would get what? Asher you're there, Gad you're there Half Manasseh's there. Half the masses going to be the other side. You want that? You're going to go there. You're going to go there. Um, when God told is told the apostles in Acts one eight that they were to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then where the ends of the earth. The plan is that we, His body, we, His church would have a responsibility for different areas, different places. In the Bible, churches were not called Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran. They were called the Church of God at Ephesus, the Church of God at Corinth, the Church of God at Philippi, the Church of God at LaGrande. And so in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 13, we see this in the New Testament says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere that especially includes you. So in 2 Corinthians, the principle of 2 Corinthians is this. The context is, Paul wrote this scathing letter in 1 Corinthians to a church that was all out of whack. And he instructed them to get back into fellowship and, and right ways with God. Second Corinthians, he is responding to people who claim he does not have the authority to tell us what to do. Who is this guy? He's not even... Uh, and, and Paul begins Corinthians kind of frustrated. He says, you're going to make me have to boast. I don't want to do this, but you need to know this. And he says in, in verse 15, I'm not boasting of things beyond measure in other men's labor. I'm having hope that, that as your faith is increased, we will greatly enlarge by you in our sphere. He says, look at this is the sphere I'm called to do. I was sent by the Holy Spirit to Corinth to start this church. I'm not boasting beyond my sphere. And he says in verse 16, why I'm here is to preach the gospel in regions beyond you and not boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He says in verse 14, we're not overextending ourselves. So we 
there's a lot of stuff going on in Merced. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on in Chowchilla. A lot of stuff going on in Atwater. Some great pastors. Pastor John Mott's in Atwater. He's a great pastor. A lot of stuff going on in Mariposa. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Grand. Where's our concern? For me, it's Grand. That's the sphere. That's the sphere that, that we are specifically part of. Uh, and we're not even extending to the sphere across the street with Methodist Church. I'm not, I don't know what they're doing. But I know there are some great people there doing the work of God, Dave Hansen and others, who have really done great in sharing gospels around this town. And the town is, is, belongs to the Church of God in Lagrand and Planada and Plainsburg in this area. Uh, and Pastor Rick and I talk about this all the time as he pastors in Planada. Um, and there's, he struggles because there's 15 to 20 people sometimes that come to church. And there's not, they're not getting any growth. He's been there a few years. Um, but then he reminds himself that's the sphere that's for and, and he asked he asked me one time he says if you had 15 people in your church would you still preach and if any of you who have been here for a long time we had those days didn't we we had days where we had 10 15 people yes yes and i i, I remember the very first sunday i i preached here for and uh it was at the courthouse, and there were cars all over town. Couldn't find a place to park, and I got so nervous. I said, I cannot believe the word spread about the new preachers so quickly. And I was just, I was, heart was racing, and walk in there, I think there was eight people. And I said, where are all the cars? And they said, oh, there's an auction in town today. And uh, I had no idea. I didn't know what the Hewlett's had auction. So, in fact, there was less people in church that day because they were at the auction. And so, nobody. So, um, yeah. But did we preach the word? We just keep the pre- I, I tell you, Dave's not here, so I can talk about him. If you ever get a chance to sneak in back and watch Dave do council time for the kids in Awana, he does a, an amazing job. But what I love about it is whether there's two kids here or there's a dozen kids here, he does not change his delivery, his message, and he preaches and shares justice as and that's faithfulness. And he's been doing that for 30 years. Just incredible. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Lord, we just got to finish the race. Some of us are just starting. Some of us are, are in the middle. Some of us are towards the end. But, Lord, the work doesn't change. We've got to get this knowledge of Christ out any way we can. How a person responds to the knowledge, well, we really don't have much say in that. What we do uh, can be used by God to get this word out and finish the, the, the course and the race that you've given us, Lord, and, and stay faithful to it. And God, in this little sphere that you've given us, help us to be always ready and willing to share your word. In Jesus' name, amen.